<laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. So I'm trying to figure out where the Lord wants me to start at. <laughs> so I guess it looks like I'm stalling. I guess I am stalling. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. I guess I'll read the story that I read. <laughs> Amen. So I'll just read the story here. Um, <coughs> And this is a true story uh, from one of my uh, devotions. I think I might have read it last week. Um, not here, but personally. <laughs> and I thought it was fitting. A high school student from my church told me that the musicians on the worship team were often hungover Sunday mornings when they got on stage. <laughs> I had noticed that as soon as the group of college students finished playing, they left the building and only returned to play a closing song. Them not staying for the sermon bothered me. But, hung over from a night of drinking, this took my frustration with them to a whole new level. Do other people know about this? I asked the teenager, whose grandfather was an elder at the church. I guess so, he said. They don't hide it. Why are they allowed to keep playing, was my next question. They're the best musicians we have. He replied, without them, the music sounds really bad. What should I have done next? Or, to make it more personal, what do you do when the lifestyle of someone in your sphere of influence doesn't line up with their claim to follow Christ? Amen. Now, I think we've all been in church for a while, right, where we've probably seen some things that may have been wrong, done wrong, right? Not, you know, going against the Bible, I should say, right? Uh, whether there's certain types of people serving or certain things that were said and they're bringing no correction. And if y'all heard me say that, Everything starts on the front line with the pastor, the elders, and things like that. But the truth be told, it's all of our responsibility, right? Amen. So we're, uh, you know, we talked about Smyrna last week, and we're going to talk about uh, Pergamos uh, this week, right? And if you got any, any type of study Bible or anything, on the top of it, it will say Church of Compromise, right? Church of Compromise, right? And then we got to ask ourselves, have we compromise ourselves, right? So here's the definition of compromise. An agreement or settlement of a dispute that is reached by each side. So you understand that, right? Here's another definition. Accept standards that are lower than is desirable. Right? And we, and, and, I, and I've, I've been to all the churches and, and I've been guilty of it, right? I've seen things done wrong and I didn't say anything, right? And then sometimes we don't say anything because we think, well, you know, pastor goes best. Right? But that's not always true. Right? right. <laughs> and then sometimes we feel like we're not going to say anything because we may be ostracized. Right? Well, who are you to say something? Right? But ultimately it is our responsibility to say something, right? Because if we look at it in that aspect, um, that we're afraid of somebody saying something to us or saying, Well, don't judge, who are you to judge, and things like that, then we're mainly looking out for ourselves. Right? Because ultimately, it should be our love for others that will cause us to speak up. Amen. Right? And, and, and we don't always see it that way. Right? Because, truth be told, a lot of times it can be, we, you may say something and the pastor just may ignore you. Right? Or, or somebody in leadership may ignore you. But, that's not our responsibility. Right? That, that, that will be the Lord for that point to say something. So, and I've said this before about me where I get accused sometimes at work of being uh, confrontational. I was wondering if I was going to forget the word. Confrontational, right? And it was only because, I, and I always say, well, what do you mean I'm confrontational? And I'm like, 
no, I'm not. And they're like, yes, you are. I'm like, no, I'm not. They're like, yes, you are. And they call me confrontational because I usually do speak up. Right? I usually I usually do speak up. And I just did it this past week. I just did it this past week. And, uh, you know, because I got going to work tomorrow, and then somebody's supposed to be working with me, and then they got pulled. Right? So then uh, the lieutenant came. And, well, I found out about it on Monday, and then uh, I went to work Tuesday, and the lieutenant said, hey. I said, don't hate me. What are you doing for my my help, right? She goes, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, you, you, you pulled my help for the weekend. Now. I got to work by myself. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Put me in the office. She started talking to me, right? And then, uh, but long story short, you know, she gives her explanation and things like that. And I already had a solution anyway for it, right? And I presented it. And then she was like, okay. And then she actually agreed to come help me, right? But the key point of this, what I want to say, what she said was, Thank you for coming to me. That's what I want. Thank you for coming to me. You know, anytime something's like that, please come. And see, I know I probably have coworkers that wouldn't have went, that would have just complained, right? And, and nothing would have got done. And then we, we end up being miserable, right? And unhappy, yeah. right? Then we stand by the wall of Kudo, and then we complain, right? But then it's the point of, did we ever say anything? Mm -hmm. Right? So we can't blame anybody if we don't say anything. So we, we, we can be just as guilty as that, uh, of that, right? So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, the, the believers at Pergamos, they, they lived in a difficult place surrounded by pagan influence. Yet they held fast to Christ's name and did not deny him during difficult times. They were strong in dealing with a hostile world but weak with dealing with sin inside the church. So let's see how we should be dealing with this. I didn't plan to speak long, but I didn't, I didn't stop my clock, so I don't know what time I started. So. <laughs> All right, First Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we'll start at verse 9. And what we all have to understand when we get to Revelation, when we come to Revelation 2 in a minute, we have, the majority of the New Testament was written by them. Right? So they had access to all these things that we're about to read. All right. So verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. That makes sense, right? <laughs> Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. <laughs> verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a what? A brother. Any other translation have anything else? So-called. So-called brother. There we go. You must have that answer. A-B, right? So-called brother, right? Yeah. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. Right? We wouldn't have no believers that would be sexually immoral, right? Right. right? We want to have that, right? Oh, watch this. Or covetous. Right? That covers these prosperity preachers. He's saying here, do not keep company with them. But yet, sometimes we find ourselves sitting up under their teaching. Okay? Or an idolater. Or a reveler. Or a drunkard. Wait a minute. We got Christian brothers that and sisters that are getting drunk. <laughs> 
Man, that can't be, right? Because we as Christians, we wouldn't do that, right? <coughs> brother, brother. <laughs> we wouldn't do that, right? But he's saying, don't keep coming. Or an extortioner. Not even, not, ooh, not even to eat with such a person. Right? Now, I guarantee you most pastors don't even know that this scripture exists. <laughs> right? So the next time you hear pastor, elder, or any believer talking about don't judge, take them right to the scripture. Right here. Take them right to the scripture. Right here. Alright? For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside God judges, therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. Right? So what happens is, now, again, we've all been in churches, right? So we can come across believers that are like this, but sometimes we don't say anything. Right? I know for a fact that, just like the sexually immoral here, that there are praise and worship leaders that that are uh, out there, they're living in sin, living with this person, and they're still allowed to play in the service. Right? And just like the, uh, the, the story that I read with the college students, right? That ought not to be. Because if we start to lower the standard, then what are we doing? We're compromising. Right? Because there's only one standard. That's the standard of Jesus Christ. It's not my standard. It's not your standard. But it's the standard of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let, let, let's talk about Pergamos a little bit. So Pergamos, unlike Ephesus and Smyrna, was inland. It was not a it, it was not it was not a seaport city. So they didn't get the they didn't deal with trades and things like that in Pergamos. But it was inland. The thing with Pergamos is it is a happening. It, well, it was a happening city. It no longer is because it doesn't exist anymore. So at one time it was a happening place. Right, so where Smyrna, you had wines and things like that that they would come in and they would trade and they would sell. Pergamos was known for education. They were known just like Smyrna and Ephesus for idolatry and paganism. Right, but what we have to understand is this: to us, that seems foreign to us, right? Because we are so far removed from a lot of that the idolatry and worship, worshiping like the Greek gods. But what we have to understand, that was normal to them. That was normal behavior to them. Right? So the kids grew up understanding who Zeus was. They, they grew up thinking Zeus was real. Right? For somebody to come back and say, well, Zeus is not real. Jesus is real. That's a shock to their system. Yeah. Right? So, but, so when, we, when we start to read this letter, we, we have to understand that. Right? So now, going to education... Well, before I get there, I talked about last week how uh, Smyrna and um, Pergamos had a little rivalry going on, right? So Smyrna saw Rome coming into control and decided to submit under Rome, worship Rome, worship Empress. Well, guess what? Pergamos was worshiping the Emperor too, right? So unlike Smyrna, the Emperor would actually visit Pergamos. Pergamos actually sat on a high hill. It was... It was one of the richest cities over there, right? They were known for their vast library, right? It was the second largest library during that time, right? They had 200,000 volumes, right? So it, it, it was not unusual for prominent people to come and visit Pergamos, mm -hmm. right? So now, going to the education and school, Pergamos was known for their medical school, doctors, dentists, and things like that. So people would come and get educated. Why? Because 
they were known for worshiping a Greek god, well, came Greek and Roman god, uh, Asclepius, right? That had a symbol that had a, it was a rod that had a snake wrapped around it. So it's a symbol that we see today, yeah. right? Yeah, we do. <laughs> right? We see it on ambulances, right? <laughs> will come to Pergamos to receive their treatment and receive healing. So a lot of times they will place them inside of a, a, a room and there will be snakes down there in that room. And the people will look for it for the snake to come and touch them to receive their healing. That was normal behavior to them. right? That's what they grew up on. That was normal behavior to them. So it was not foreign. Right? So now, imagine being a medical student in school who gets saved and now you no longer worshiping this this uh this God is Clippius, but now you're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the real healer. What do you think is gonna happen? You're gonna be ostracized, right? You're yeah. gonna be persecuted, right? Alright, so let, let let's go to uh Revelation chapter two. Understanding that background right there. Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. All right. You there? Amen. All right. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, right, these things says, He who has a sharp two edged sword. Now, if you haven't picked up on it yet, between Ephesus, Smyrna, now Pergamos, Jesus always introduces himself in a different way. Right? So a sharp two-edged sword. Well, we know, we're familiar with that, right? So Hebrews 4, 12, familiar verse, and verse 13 says this. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the tents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So Jesus is letting them know he's a two-edged sword. In other words, he's letting them know they're going to be judged by his word. Right? So we as believers, whether or actually believers or unbelievers, we're going to be judged by the word of God. Amen. Right? So again, this goes back to now. The majority of the New Testament was written by this time. Right? They already had the Old Testament at this time. So guess what? They know this word. They know this word. Verse 13, I know your works, very familiar, right? I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. So let's stop right there. I know your works and where you dwell. So in other words, Jesus is saying, look, I know it's hard where you're staying at. I understand that. I understand that, hey, there are people who don't accept me. There are people who are worshiping the devil there. And I know you, 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 I know you works there. I know you, you, you still trying to hold on. Right? The same thing he's going to say. He says to us. Amen. Right? I know that the world we, we're all dwelling in. Right? Mm -hmm. Us today. It's dark. Mm -hmm. I know that. I know that when you try to live by the word, you may get ostracized. Mm -hmm. 
I know that when you try to tell somebody, no, you shouldn't be shacking up. What do you mean? That doesn't make sense. And they're going to laugh at you. And then everybody will get up. Jesus saying the same thing to us. I know that. I know that. Where is Satan's throne is? Because we got to remember, what? Satan is the ruler of this world. Right. right? So no matter where we go, no matter all through time, he was still the ruler of this world. So this world is going to be dark. Right? But it's not a surprise to Jesus. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. That's right. Right? Because it's just like I said, it's a dark world, but we're supposed to be the light. We're supposed to be the salt. Right? But then if we start to compromise, guess what? Now we become cloudy. Right? Now we don't see things by the word and we start seeing things by the world. Right? And then we start to say, well, you know, don't judge them. Right? And I'm saying them as in the house of God. Yeah. Right? Because we don't judge what's out there. Right? And, and, and we start to say these things. Right? And then we, we, we start to allow these things to come inside the house. Right? We start teaching psychology, philosophy, and all these different things. Why? To try to make the church prevalent. But the church is not supposed to be prevalent. Jesus Christ is supposed to be prevalent. Amen. Right? Amen. And, and the minute we start trying to make the church prevalent, then that's a problem. Then, then we are, we are going to take shortcuts. We are going to do things by the flesh. But he says what? If he be lifted up. He doesn't say the church. None of these churches here. You don't say none of these churches here should be lifted up on the block. Right? <laughs> but Jesus Christ should be lifted up. Amen. All right? Alright, so I know your works and where you dwell with Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. So he's saying you hold fast. In other words, regardless of what's going on, you still holding on. Can he say it about us? Are we still holding on? Right? So do it all, do it all. I learned to trust in Jesus. Learn to trust in God. Right? We, we, we have to hold on. And see, there are believers that are not holding on. They're letting go, they're giving in. Right? We can't do that just because society says one thing. Again, word of God is what we're going to be judged by. That's what we have to stand on. That's what we have to live by. It doesn't matter what TV, radio, podcasts, the government say. We have to stand on the word of God. To the end. Amen. To the Amen. end. Amen. Right? So I talked about last week how people, you know, the Christians, the believers, that they got put to death. Right? Now, I don't want us to think that because we're not getting put to death, we may not go through. We may suffer. Right? Suffer can come in the form of sickness. Suffer can come through a form of poverty. Suffering can come not being able to find a job. Right? The difference is when someone gets put to death, Jesus takes notice. But even though the fact that we may not be put to death, Jesus is still taking notice. Because guess what? Job wasn't put to death. Right? Job was not put to death. But Job suffered loss. He suffered sickness. Right? People turned on him. His wife turned on him. Right? But Job still stood tall. Right? So Jesus was saying, look, no matter what you're going through, I'm there. Right? Because the, the point is, no matter if we're going through, no matter if we're suffering, we're supposed to draw closer to him. Amen. Right? That, that's the test. We're supposed to draw closer to him. Amen. But normally, what do we do? We pull away. <laughs> right? We pull away and we isolate. But he doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to draw closer to him. So, even through it all, just like the Apostle Paul, just like we've been reading in Acts, Paul, 
stoned, beaten, still had a sickness, and still never thought about himself. Why? Because he had Christ at the forefront. Right? So as long as we think about ourselves, even in the midst of going through, then, yeah, we're going to suffer even harder. But we got to put our eyes on Jesus. Right? Because if we have our eyes on Jesus, even though it may hurt, guess what? We're looking at Him. We're looking at our healer. We're looking at our deliverer. Amen. We're looking at our provider. That's right. These are all these things that Jesus ought to. He is to us. Mm -hmm. Alright. So I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name, and did not deny my faith. Even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So, we don't really fully know much about Antipas. Some people think he was a pastor, but most research takes it back that he was a Christian that was in medical school. Right? And then he became a believer. And guess who he was testifying for? Jesus. So again, that was he had to take a stand. Do I compromise and say, well, it's Philippians. I mean, Jesus will understand. He'll forgive me. <laughs> right? He understands because he knows where I'm, where I'm at. But he didn't do this. He stayed true to Jesus regardless right. of what family, friends, his fellow students would say. Even though they're saying, hey, throw people down there in the bed. Like, he said, no. Let me pray. Let me lay hands on them. Right? But guess what? They killed him. Why? All for him taking a stand for Jesus. But see, just like the people in the Colosseum and, you know, some people pray, a lot of times people were singing to the Lord, singing hymns and worshiping him. Why? Because now you're taking your mind and your eyes off of you. That's you're right. glorifying Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right? And guess what? Jesus is taking a stand. I'm sure when Antipas was about to die, he stood up, just like he did for Stephen. Yeah. And, and look, he warned all the heavens. Everybody take notes. Brother's coming. Mm -hmm. Right? While, while all those people were putting him to death were cheering him on, Jesus said, get ready. Get ready. And see, death to us as a Christian, we view it as a period, but it's a calm. It's calm, right? So when we die, we wake up with the Lord. Right? That's right. Yeah. Right? So now, when any of us woke up, he's standing in front of Jesus. Right? He's saying, look, I know what you had to go through. I know. But Jesus is saying, well done, my good friends. Right? He said, matter of fact, let me introduce you to somebody. This is Stephen. This is Stephen that you read about in Acts. Right? This is the Apostle Paul. Right? Yes. He wakes up. He's glorifying Jesus. But Jesus is recognizing and glorifying him. That's why he received the crown of life. Because he wouldn't forsake Jesus. Amen. Right? No matter what it is, no matter what situation we find ourselves, we can't compromise. Right? We compromise, we lose our witness. Yeah, thank you. Hold on. I just want to read this note that I had. You know, 
how often do we as Christians make excuses for ourselves or other people for not standing for Christ in the midst of this world? Right? We, we, we tend to order down. We're like, oh, it's okay. What? It's not okay. Remember, I said we, we have to be all in. When we read these letters to these churches here, Jesus wanted them to be all in. Remember, he got the butt. And we're going to come to another butt right here. You know? So, just like we know with our butts, we, everything we say, that butt discounts everything else that we said previously about that. Oh, here's the butt right here. Verse 14. <laughs> right on time. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught a lot to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. So that's found in Numbers 22 to 25. Right? So we're all familiar with the donkey that spoke. Right? That was Balaam riding on that donkey. Right, so he was going because the leader of the Moabites wanted him to curse Israel. But God told him, no, you can't curse them. <coughs> and he said initially, he told them, he told the king's uh, servants, he said, I can't, I only can speak what God told me. Right, but Balaam was actually a false prophet. Right, he was a false prophet. So, what did he do for stumbling block? He couldn't curse him, but he wanted to get paid. So the fact that he couldn't curse him, he says, well, I'll think outside the box. I'll tell them how to get Israel to sin. And if they sin, then guess what? Now, they, 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 uh, God's going to be angry at them. Right? So now, guess what? I don't curse them. I get paid. But God got mad at that. Right? But Israel still had to pay for their sin. Right? right. 25,000 people got killed yeah. for their disobedience. 25,000 got All for one person right here. One person. Right. And then God tells Moses, get all the elders and kill them. Why? Because again, it begins, starts with the leadership. Right? Starts with leaders. Right? And then there's another one that decides. In the midst of while this plague is going on in the camp, one of the Israelites decides to bring a Midianite woman in there. Right? In front of Moses, in front of the rest of the people. Right? So, they're looking at this as he's bringing her into the tent to have sex with her. Right? And then, I think it's Phineas, he goes in there and kills them both. And then God stops him. He stops the play. And, he's, and he commends Phineas for his zeal. That's what we have to have, the zeal of God. That is the only way we're going to survive in this world. Right? If we can't make excuses, but we have to have the zeal of God. And that goes back again to what he told the church of Ephesus, us being in our first love. Because if we're not in our first love, we're not putting God first, then we're going to start to compromise. Then we start to look at this. We start to listen to this. Right? And it doesn't have to be anything bad, super bad. Right? But it's something that will cause a wedge to come in between us and Lord. Somebody sent me a video this week. And I looked at it. I didn't, I didn't open it, but I see it. I said, I'm not watching that. I ain't got nothing to do with God. Yeah. Right? It had nothing to do with it. I said, I'm not going to allow that to disrupt my, my anointing, my presence. Amen. Right? That's the stand that we have to take. We have to cut off all the stuff, all the junk in our lives that doesn't get us closer to God. So, stumbling block means cause for sinning. Right? So, that's, that's Balaam. Alright. So, 
that word hold there, well, let me read this again. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. So I just talked to you about Balaam. So basically, that word holy means that they won't let it go. Right? How many of us today as believers holding on to the things that don't line up with the word of God? Because it's popular. Right? We, we, we can't do that. Again, That's right. it's the word of God we're going to be judged by. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and commit sexual immorality. So just like any other sin, you commit a sin, now it takes you down a deeper path. So even though they had they uh, started to have sex with these Moabite women, guess what? They started to worship their gods. Now, mind you, these are married men doing this. <laughs> so they're going further and further into sin. Verse 15, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I do hate. So now, remember, I talked about that with the church of Ephesus. Remember, the church of Ephesus was commended for hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The church of Pogamos, they do what? They're holding on to it. They are, so basically, they're holding on to the things that Jesus hates. Mm. Yeah. This is the church. This is the church. Again, is this stuff we're doing today. Right? We're, we're holding on to How often, even around election season, we got churches talking about politics more than the Bible. Jesus don't care about that. Right? We're not going to be judged by politics. I promise you. <laughs> I promise you that's not in the Bible. Right? That, that has nothing. Politics has been around for centuries. For centuries. And, and, and it's just caused destruction. I told you that word actually means, that word electionary means strife. It's, a work of, it's actually a work of the flesh. But this is stuff that we adhere to. Right? And, and we, should, we shouldn't even allow that to even come into the house. Right? But again, that's up to not just the pastor, that's up to the whole body of believers. Amen. Right? If we stay quiet and we look the other way because, oh, I don't know no better, I might be wrong. Pastor, no better. No. We have the word of God. We have the word of God. So basically with, with uh, the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, they enter into moral and spiritual compromise. Right? We, 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 we can't do that. That goes back to Phineas. We have to have that zeal. We, we, have, to zeal. we have to hate what Jesus hates. Amen. And, and, and if we don't, then there's something wrong. There's a disconnect with our walk. Right? So it's not okay for us to, to just look the other way when we see somebody doing something that's wrong. Right? We don't have to go and, and beat them down. You know, we, we'll talk to them in love. Right? No, we, we talk to them in love. Right? We bring correction in love. Right? And then sometimes it may just be, you may not have to go to that person, but you may have to address it with the pastor or whoever. That's okay. Right? And again, I just gave you a scripture to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Amen. That's really what that whole chapter is dealing with. Because Corinthians, the Corinthian church, which is bound in sin. And they thought it was okay. Why? Because they were still exercising the gifts. We, we, we can't be like that. So Jesus hates uh, religious and moral compromise. 
Verse 16. Repent, or else I will come quickly and will... Oh, repent, and or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So, what? repent. So, five out of seven churches, he told them to repent. This is his body. This is his body. He's telling them to repent. But what does he say here? I will fight against them. Which, who is he talking about them? He's not talking about the world. Nope. His letter is to the church. I will fight. In other words, if you're not living right, Jesus is saying, I'm going to come and fight against you. That's right. But this is the type of stuff we take lightly. Why? Because, oh, he's so loving. <laughs> he wouldn't do that. It said, this is my notes for it. It said right here in Revelation. I will fight against them. He's talking to the church. He's talking to those who are professing Jesus Christ. Let this be a wake up call to us. Amen. Right? So we come across other people who confess Christianity, but yet they're acting like the world. Right? But nobody's saying anything to them. Right? But then yet we want to go and say something to the unsaved, but then we got people attending church week after week, and they're on their way to hell. Mm -hmm. And we won't say anything. And these are things that most churches are not going to preach about, but Jesus is saying right here, I will fight against them. Mm -hmm. And again, he's not talking about the world. Because remember, he didn't write revelation to the world, the unsaved. He wrote it to the churches. That's right. But these are things that we overlook. So we, we sit up there and we use the word repent a lot of times. But remember, I talked about the unsaved, they're not going to know what repent is. But we as believers, we do. We do. So he's telling his body to repent. Right? Again, he told five hundred seven churches because two, they had nothing negative that he said about them. Which is good. Right? But five, he's told them to repent. Right? He told them, yeah, you, you're doing good, but you need to repent. Right? So, and he's saying here to Pergamos, if you don't repent, I'm going to come and fight against you. Verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So again, do we have an ear to hear what he's saying? Or do we just ignore it? Because we want the, the blessings, <laughs> we want the feel-good message, right? We don't want to talk about sin, we don't want to talk about all these things that are taking place in the church today and was taking place in the church back then. Nothing changes. Amen. Nothing's changing. But see, this is a plot by the enemy. He has been infiltrating the church for centuries. Right? We, we talk about even, you know, Catholic Church, but the church as a whole, we talk about Constantine, how he was so good, how he legalized Christianity. There's no evidence that he was ever saved. Zero. Zilch. That was a, we like, oh, that was a blessing. No, that was a devil. Why? Because he couldn't stop the church when he was trying to kill them. It just made Christians stronger. So now he brings in compromise. And we look the other way. And that's how we are in America. We're compromising as a body of believers. And we look the other way. And we don't want to warn people. Right? But then we want to just go and we just want to 
serve the Lord and we want to witness to people. We want them saved and born again to bring them right back in the muck, the junk. Right? We want to, we're going to say we're going to snatch them out from hell and then we bring them into church and the church is going to hell. <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So, that means these body believers have to overcome. That's right. It's not, oh, I'm saved, I believe, I said a prayer, whatever. No, you got to live right. That's what I told you, I think Wednesday. All these New Testament letters. It's about us being mature. It's about us being, because all these churches were dealing with stuff. All of them were dealing with something. And they were bringing warning. Paul was bringing warning. Jesus is bringing warning to us. Right? And, 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 but these are things we, we, we can't overlook because we tend to compromise. We tend not to say anything. And guess what? We're just as responsible. When we look the other way, we see something wrong, and we don't say anything. Again, we don't we don't have to be harsh, right? We should bring correct. And again, bring it in the word, right? Because they can't argue. Yeah. That's right. They probably will, but yeah. they can't argue. And if they do, that's that's their pride, yeah. right? But again, Jesus will deal with them, right? But just what I just read to you, what, what he's saying here. I will fight against them. I will fight against you. Mm. I will fight against New Life Kingdom Builders. Mm. Right? It, it, we, we can't compromise. Right? And like I said, it, it, we stay quiet. So we got to learn to stop being quiet. I don't really talk a lot. But we got we to learn, we, we learn to speak up. And look, the closer we walk with him, the, the, the more time we spend with him, guess what? The bolder we become. No matter who it is. I don't care what title they have. Who they claim to be. Who they walk with. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Right? A title can't get you into heaven. Right? It, 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 it can't. Right? But obedience will. Obedience will. And, and these are things we have to take notice of. And, and this is why I say it's like, you know... We, we, we make excuses I'm saying we as a church as a whole we make excuses for Christians that just keep falling and falling and falling at some point enough's enough right and I, and I read to y'all before Paul said look kick them out kick them out right but we just oh no we're not going to ask no questions that's okay right and then look if, if you super talented musician you good <laughs> You can go send all you want to. Pastor probably not going to say anything. Right? As long as your vocal cords don't get messed up. <laughs> your fingers and your keyboard. A lot of these pastors are not going to say anything to you. Don't worry. I got you. Because they're not going to judge you. But we just read it. Right? And again, that person, that pastor, blood's going to be on his hands. Yep. Be on their hands, right? That can't be. And we don't want nobody's blood on our hands either. Amen. Right? So we have to live right. We have to do the right thing. Because we don't want to be in danger again of our lampstand going out. Right? It, 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 
again, it's no different. I'm no different. Corrections needed. Bring it. Right? Bring it. And again, we don't have to be rude. <laughs> All right? We can be gentle. But, you know, Jesus said to be wise as serpents. All right? We, we can be gentle and loving. And then, even if we are gentle and loving, sometimes when we bring correction and truth and the word, some people don't want to receive it. And again, it's a pride thing. Amen? Amen. That's about it.